0: I greet you in the high and holy name <clears throat> of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. I've made a special request of uh, of the Lord <clears throat> that when I get to heaven, he'll give me a singing voice like Chan Sheely. <laughs> Let's thank him again. <clears throat> <clears throat> And I'm so glad that we sang, uh, Christ the Lord is Risen Today. You know, that song, that hymn is always sung on Easter. But it's too good a hymn to sing just once a year. And you know, every Sunday is supposed to be a little Easter, a little Resurrection Day. So, I'm so glad to hear that sung again. As you know, we are on a series of messages, late summer, early fall. 10 messages from the book of Acts, which tells the story of the first 30 years of the church. And today our focus is on a pioneer of the movement. His name was Stephen, and he was the first Christian martyr. Our scripture lesson today comes from Acts chapter 6, and also selected verses from chapter 7. And if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And then these selected verses from chapter 7. This is after Stephen had delivered a lengthy tour through, through Jewish history. All the way back to Abraham. He comes to the climax of his message. And he says this. You stiff necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, Jesus. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. This is the word of God. For the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you are 30 years old or older, it is very likely that you can tell me where you were on the morning of September 11, 2001. And if there was a TV nearby, you perhaps saw airplanes crashing into huge buildings. And if you kept watching that television, you saw first responders dashing into those burning buildings. And you knew that many of those first responders recognized that they were at risk of never coming out of that inferno alive. And one of those first responders was a Roman Catholic priest named Father Michael Judge. He was a chaplain in the New York City Fire Department. He rushed into that burning skyscraper in an effort to comfort the hurt and the dying. And Father Judge never, never came out of that burning skyscraper. skyscraper. He died there. And later when they found his body, there was a copy of a prayer in one of his pockets. And this was that prayer. Lord, take me where you want me to go. Let me meet whom you want me to meet. Tell me what you want me to say. And keep me out of your way. Amen. If ever a prayer was answered, it was that one. Father Judge was a martyr, a Christian martyr. And as you know, a martyr is someone who is put to death or endures great suffering for his beliefs. The first Christian martyr was a man named Stephen. He was a contemporary of Jesus. For all we know, he may have heard Jesus' teaching. He may have seen him work miracles. He may have been present at the day of crucifixion. He may have been among those 120 followers who were gathered on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell upon them. He was a Greek-speaking Jewish Christian. And Scripture tells us he was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. A man full of God's grace and power who did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. The name Stephen... In the Greek means crown, but his parents who named him could never have dreamed that he would become a disciple of the one who wore a crown of thorns as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Return with me now to about the year 35 AD. Now, just a few months earlier, the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost had roared into the early church like a hurricane and filled that early church with power. But it may surprise you to know that even that spirit-filled church still had some ethnic and racial prejudices. And uh, you see, the Jewish Christians of Palestine felt that they were the elder brothers in the church. They had rights of seniority. Uh, they spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. And they sort of looked down on the, on the Greek-speaking Christians in the church who came from all over the countries of the world and many ethnicities. Uh, they sort of were a bit snooty toward the Greek speakers in the church. Because, you know, even born-again Christians have birth defects. That the Lord Jesus through the Holy Spirit over time has to correct as we grow in Christ. And in those days the church provided a daily distribution of food for the widows. Who were unable to take care of themselves. And the Greek Christians began to complain that their widows were not being treated as well as the the other widows. The Palestinian widows. The Jewish Palestinians. That they were at the sort of at the rear of the line and were not getting the same amount of food, and they were complaining. So the apostles called a church meeting, all the people together, and they said, Look, we should not abandon preaching and teaching and praying in order to wait on tables. So we ask you to elect seven godly men who will take over this duty. Church said that's a good idea, so they nominated and elected seven. Godly men to take over this task. And one of them probably by acclamation was elected. And his name of course was Stephen. Stephen often attended what was called the synagogue of the freedmen in Jerusalem. Now this was a gathering not of Christians but of, of, of Jews. Uh, particularly Jews who came from all over the world. And often it was an arena for debate about religious issues. Now Stephen went there because he was a Greek speaker. And this was a wonderful place for him to witness for Christ and win new converts. But some of those uh, Greek speaking Jews began to argue with him. And I have a feeling that Satan elbowed his way into the arena and instigated some of the argument. But they couldn't get very far with Stephen in their arguing because he was so full of knowledge and knowledge of the scripture uh, that he always came out on top of the the discussion. And that angered them. So, inspired by Satan, uh, they put up a couple of false witnesses to claim that Stephen was guilty of blasphemy. 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 Uh, And that was a deadly accusation. Just compare it. If today in a Muslim country, somebody is accused of insulting the name of Muhammad, that's about what happened to Stephen. And so he was hauled before the Jewish Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin. And uh, false witnesses came there to testify against him. And there he was. This was the same Sanhedrin that a, less than a year earlier had condemned Jesus to death. It was presided over by the same high priest, Caiaphas. And Stephen was given a chance to speak. And he gave them a rather lengthy sermon about Jewish history. Took them all the way back to Abraham. And he showed that again and again and again there had been a recurring pattern. God had blessed the Jews enormously more than any other country. More than any other people. And yet they had rebelled again and again and again. And yet, after God disciplined them, punished them, he gave them additional chances to reform and start over new. And after this history tour, Stephen came to the climax of his sermon. We as As we sometimes say in the South, he quit preaching and went to meddling. Now, he pointed a finger, a bony finger at that bunch, and he fairly shouted, you stiff-necked people, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You kill the prophets who predicted the coming of the righteous one, Jesus. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. There was anger in Stephen's voice. Yes, there was. But there was sorrow too. Deep sorrow that when God sent his son to save them, they had rejected and crucified him. Well, the Sanhedrin just exploded in rage. They started yelling at the top of their voices, dragged Stephen out of the city and began to stone him to death. And as the stone smashed his head, And disfigured his face he looked up toward heaven and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God and the Bible says he fell asleep in Christ what was the secret of that man what what could motivate Stephen to respond to hate that way well I can tell you the answer and you can get a clue The next time there's a full moon in the sky next time on a clear night that you could see a a full moon and you no doubt will marvel at the beauty and if you were to ask the secret of that moon's beauty and if the moon could respond it would say I don't deserve any credit I'm just reflecting the Sun if it weren't for the Sun I would be invisible So it was with Stephen, simply a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want us to consider this morning how Stephen reflected Christ. And as we do that, I want us to be asking a personal question. How well am I reflecting my Savior and Lord? How did Stephen reflect Christ? First, Stephen spoke the truth even when it was costly Stephen spoke the truth even when it was costly. Just imagine if a district attorney in a courtroom, in a trial, instead of defending his client, attacked the judge and the jury. That's what Stephen did. And surely Stephen knew that as he lambasted the Sanhedrin, he was signing his own death warrant. He knew that. Nevertheless, he spoke the truth knowing it would cost him, so like his master, so like his master. There's a three-letter word that the American culture hates. Now, four-letter words, ah, some of them even obscene four-letter words the culture uses all the time. Ah, but there's a three-letter word the American culture hates, and it's the word sin, S-I-N. Because the culture says oh, don't use that word because don't label anything as sinful because it sounds so judgmental, so narrow-minded. It might hurt somebody's feelings. Might even be a trigger word for somebody. But Jesus hated sin almost as much as he loved sinners. Jesus indicted sin wherever he found it, especially among the religious types. And Jesus paid a price for that. Jesus said, the world hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. The late great Baptist preacher Adrian Rogers used to say, sin that used to slink down the back alley now struts proudly down Main Street. We Christians must have the courage to label sin as sin. It's better to be disliked for telling the truth than to be loved for telling a lie. Jesus reminded us, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So your truth-telling will not be without cost. Today in many parts of the world, Christians are being persecuted. For example, in India... People have been jailed for having a Bible study in their home. In Canada, United Kingdom, Australia, and New Zealand people have been arrested for engaging in silent prayer outside abortion clinics. And recently a Roman Catholic couple in Massachusetts was rejected in their attempt to adopt a child. And why? Because they did not approve of same-sex marriage. Now, there are some cultural leaders in America today who urge us to compromise, to seek a middle ground with these progressive secularists. In fact, just last week, Pope Francis seemed to approve that kind of strategy. This is what he said, and I quote, There's a, cor- there's a, cor- a correct evolution in the understanding of faith and morals that allows for doctrine to progress and consolidate over time, end of quote. That so-called progress can be a denial of biblical truth and a highway to hell. Remember Jesus' words about the broad way, the narrow way. Enter through the narrow gate, Jesus said, for wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. It's the popular gate. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Beware of those who urge us to be more broad-minded. Their advice would place us on a slippery slope that leads away from the hilltop of biblical truth. Don't listen to those who urge us to be more broad-minded middle of the road about faith and morals the only thing I have ever found in the middle of the road are dead possums and a yellow streak (laughs) Jesus criticized the religious leaders of his day he said to them you know how to predict the weather but but you can't interpret the signs of the times He said, you see, in the evening, if the skies are red, you say that means fair day tomorrow. And you're right, but you can't interpret the signs of the times. Well, let me try to interpret the signs of our modern times. The trends today in America are ominous. If the progressive secularism that has captured many of our colleges and universities, if it continues to spread... I predict that within 10 years, the government will begin monitoring what goes on inside the churches. And if a preacher dares to read and preach on some of these Bible verses that the ruling elites deem to be offensive, that pastor will be charged criminally with uttering hate speech. The truth is under attack today. And unless God intervenes and unless there's revival, the outlook is grim. Despite that, I am optimistic. Because I believe God is intervening even now. I believe the birth of the global Methodist church is one sign of God's intervention. And I take courage from Jesus' promise, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I don't believe... That the devil can wreck what Jesus is building. All Jesus needs are faithful disciples who will defend the truth, whatever the cost, and that's who are, we are called to be. And if you agree, say amen. Here's the second way that Stephen responded to hate, reflected Jesus Christ. Stephen responded to hate with love like his master. Stephen responded to hate with love like his master. As those haters flung stones at Stephen's head, he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And you know, our Lord Jesus said something similar. As he hung on that cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. How in the world does a person get the strength to respond to hate with love, you can't do it in your own strength. We just don't have it within us. Ah, but the Holy Spirit within us, living within us, gives us that ability, that strength. And when he is invited to fill us, he always does and always right on time. So after World War II, when Cory Ten Boom encountered that Nazi prison guard, who had persecuted her and her sister in that concentration camp, the Holy Spirit gave her the strength to reach out her hand and shake his hand and forgive him. And when Martin Luther King Jr. was confronted by Bull Connor and his legions of hateful agents with their police dogs and fire hoses, the Holy Spirit gave him the strength to choose love over hate. Dr. King said, love is the only power on earth that can defeat hate. There was a Korean Christian who said that when he and his friends were under great pressure from the communists, they would often say to each other, we are like nails. We are like nails. The harder somebody hits us, the deeper they drive us into Christ. Stephen responded to hate with love like his master And so must we. Finally, here's the third way in which Stephen reflected Christ. Stephen showed us how to die like his master. As the vicious stones fractured his skull and disfigured his face, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And at that moment, he saw Jesus at the right hand of God in heaven. And there's a great truth here, and it is this. We Christians never die alone. Never do we die alone because he comes for us. I can imagine Jesus at the, at the moment of our death reaching out his hand and helping us across the great divide. Jesus promised to do this. Listen to his words. I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. And Luke described Stephen's death as falling asleep. He died with as much composure as as you and I on a typical night drift off to sleep. And Stephen awaked, awakened face to face with Jesus. What a way to wake up. And that's in store for us. Do you remember the bedtime prayer that we used to learn and used to teach our kids? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. There are some people nowadays who discourage that prayer. They say don't teach that to kids because you force them to confront the subject of death and they shouldn't have to do that. But you know, I got a feeling that maybe little children are not as intimidated by death as we adults are. I got a feeling that they, better than we, can understand falling asleep in Christ. Because I remember Jesus said, Unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Maybe we ought to learn something from the little ones. Our Methodist founder, John Wesley, used to say that any Christian ought to be willing to do three things at a moment's notice. Preach, pray, or die. Some layman would rather die than preach. I know. (laughs) And you know what? The requirement for all three is the same. You're ready if you repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Then you're ready to preach, pray, or die, whichever comes first. You're ready for it. Stephen's death ignited a widespread persecution of Christians all over Jerusalem. They were rounded up, uh, jailed. Some of them were killed. Most of them were forced to flee from Jerusalem to other towns, other countries. And that looked like an awful tragedy, but God used it for good. Because those Christians, as they fled, took the gospel with them and spread it. And because of that persecution, Christianity became a worldwide religion. As St. Augustine said later, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And one of those seeds was planted in a young Jew named Saul, who witnessed the execution of Stephen, and approved of it. But he couldn't forget it. It haunted him. He had never seen a man die like that. So fearless, so radiant. And that memory would not leave his mind. And then one day, outside Damascus, he confronted Jesus. And there, Saul was transformed into the Apostle Paul. Now Stephen was the first in a long line of Christian martyrs, those who have given their last full measure of devotion for the Lord Jesus, and are still doing it in different parts of the world today. One of those martyrs was a man named Polycarp. He was a he was the bishop of Smyrna. He was an early Christian leader in that first 100 years of the life of the church. And at that time, when the Roman Empire ruled the entire world, the the only creed of the Roman Empire was Caesar is Lord. And if you would not recite that creed, and if you believed in something that came higher than Caesar, you were liable for treason. It was a national requirement that you recite Caesar is Lord. An old Polycarp, 86 years old, would not recite the creed. And one day a Roman captain and his troops came to the door of Polycarp's house. And they said to the old man, It's been reported that you will not say, Caesar's Lord, please say it. We don't want to harm you. You don't have to mean it. Just, just say it. Because we don't want to hurt you. And old Polycarp said, Jesus Christ has been my God for 86 years and he has never betrayed me. How can I now betray my Lord and Savior? The soldiers tied up old Polycarp on the stake and lit the fire. When we remember Stephen, Polycarp and thousands of others who have suffered and died for our Lord, their legacy demands that we ask some questions like these. Has my commitment to Christ ever cost me anything? Have I carried any crosses for Jesus' sake? How much am I willing to suffer and sacrifice for my Lord? Now I'm going to invite us to moments of silent prayer, guided prayer. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's begin by confessing that often we have been closeted disciples, afraid to stand up publicly for Christ and his standards, afraid that it might cost us something in terms of prestige or popularity or even money. Let us pray silently now let's ask the Lord to make us both bold and winsome If we've been too timid about our public stand for Christ, let's ask for more backbone. On the other hand, if we've been too abrasive or argumentative, let's ask the Lord to increase our winsomeness. Let us pray silently. Finally, let's ask the Lord to reveal to us some specific opportunities that is likely to be part of our upcoming schedule. When we can lift up the name of Jesus publicly, ask the Holy Spirit to help us meet this opportunity with boldness and winsomeness on behalf of the one who went all the way to the cross for us. Let us pray silently. Amen.